Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Yvette, and today I'll be chatting to Rihanna Walcott. She's a writer, activist, and a PhD candidate researching black women's identity formation in digital spaces. She's also the co-editor of The Colour of Madness, which is a book about BAME mental health. I'm going to be chatting to her about her work and also to Britain's response to George Floyd's death. Every black person I know at the moment is finding themselves, not often willingly, but gaining a lot of followers, gaining, uh, you know, a lot of um, sometimes unwanted, sometimes wanted uh, messages in their DMs and talking about, uh, you know, lots of people sort of self-flagellating about what can they do about racism a lot of uh allyship questions coming through so yeah mm. it's pretty it's pretty overwhelming and i don't think i know anyone who hasn't had that influx mm. of people not quite a un, not quite sure of how to talk to us how can people sort of looking up look after their own mental health at the moment especially sort of black and ethnic minority people i think it is quite tiring uh particularly when you're someone who does this work year round and mm. someone who feels this pressure and this sadness year round to only be asked just because another person like because one death has hit the news in a way that that makes people upset you know like lots of us are aware of many more happening or aware of this constant proximity of black people to death and you know, whilst this is all the more jarring and tiring because it's, you know, being played out on such an international scale, 
it can sometimes be a bit baffling to me where I'm sort of like, oh, why now? Like, okay, mm. so now you're interested, but will you be interested next month? Will you be in? So that that's what makes it quite difficult to deal with, especially because, well, sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's your f- actual real friends checking in on you, which is nice, <laughs> but a lot of the time it's uh, people who are passing acquaintances at best who seem to just be going through a list of every black person they know and going, hey, are you okay? And, <laughs> and you know, responding to that in a way that isn't... So, like, I, I've kind of taken on this policy right now where, like, I either... If I can't respond kindly, I won't respond at all. Um, and some people are... I don't know. A lot of the time there's a lot of um, just trying to get sort of points for doing the right thing as Mm. opposed to an actual desire to help or whatever but then Mm. again you know that might be very cynical of me perhaps lots of people are feeling uncomfortable being confronted with this sort of thing for the first time ever and don't know what to do other than to talk to the nearest black person to them which I would have to urge anyone listening please not to do because um Mm. I can tell you that like there was a long period of time in fact where I didn't want to talk to any white people about this at all. Like, I took pretty much, like, almost two weeks, very rarely looking at social media, ignoring my phone almost completely. And, you know, responses to emails became longer and all this stuff because it can be very exhausting sort of comforting the person who's come to you to try and comfort you. Mm. Because they don't really have anything to offer me in terms of comfort. Of course they couldn't but yeah I have something to offer them they want yeah. to hear that oh I'm fine and you know you're doing the right thing and it that can be very tiring yeah. so but then on the other hand I might sound like you know something that is actually really great in this time you see so many different fundraisers for projects that have been going on for a really long time and because of this because of the current attention on black activists and black work and things that and and public work that makes black life more tolerable and enjoyable lots of people are donating to campaigns that they perhaps wouldn't have so a perfect example is my own project project myopia which is a project that's been going for about three years now that is uh, working with different universities to decolonize the curriculum. But um, this, so we are, we do, we have funding currently that's going to, you know, we've got a few grand left in our funding and that is going to run out and then we'll have to look for another funding body because the funding for this project is conditional on me still having PhD funding. And because I'm coming to the end of that, end of the funding's coming, right? And we shared a crowd, um, we shared our PayPal and we got more donations in this week than we ever have. <laughs> so, you know, it's like this moment where people are going, OK, I feel really impotent. Maybe I can do something to contribute to efforts that already exist, which is mm. really useful because people are out there doing the work. Like I have so many friends who run, you know, different projects like looking for, you know, trying to improve 
access to theatre for uh, people of colour and access to, um, you know, like, so there's Fringe of Colour run by my friend Jess Bruff and, you know, things like uh, Tanya Compass's uh, Black Queer Christmas, you know, there's, and things that have been able to gather donations in part because of the current attention and you're kind of in this weird position as a black activist where you have to sort of square your discomfort with because I wouldn't really you can't call it profiting because we're not profiting off this time it's you know taking in funding to continue the work that we're doing to support black people but Mm. it feels unseemly in some ways but at the same time white attention and white attention spans are fickle so you kind of have to take advantage of that current moment where people do feel badly enough to help Mm. well there's several things i'd like to sort of talk to you about from from what you said just there Uh, but i suppose the first thing um could you please explain to people a bit more about your work what you mean by you want to um decolonize the curriculum what what do you actually mean by that and yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we're by no means um, the first or the only. There are so many different decolonial projects across the country. Almost every university in the UK at this point pretty much has a project like this. Not quite like ours, but <laughs> but focusing on, you know, making the curriculum more inclusive, making it more diverse unlearning a lot of colonial teachings that insist that um that we study in a certain way so we're in particular trying to challenge different canons Mm. so with project with project myopia we sort of are asking when you study modernism do you have to be studying t.s Eliot, this old white man or could you possibly be studying a black woman who lived in that period who also wrote like like nella larson who also wrote things that could definitely be considered like modernist modernist texts so we're Mm. sort of challenging the instinctive assumption that all movements were started by straight white men oh absolutely i mean i you know that sounds really interesting just having been an english student you do wonder i'm sure i'm sure all students wonder you know you you read these books but you think well who's who's decided that this is you know this is the best author of the yeah. time, you know, like who was sat who down. Who said that this was the canon, basically? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, on my own course, I just know from my own sort of English course, I think mine was quite progressive because we had one African literature mod- module, but that was just, you know, that was one module. Was it compulsory um, as a module, or was it? No, it wasn't. And I, but I took it because I just go. thought, yeah. it was, but I just <laughs> yeah. thought it would be interesting because you know, uh, from secondary school and primary school, whatever, mm. you, you didn't really hear much about, um, you know, a mix of of authors. But but on top of that, of course, yes, there was all the stuff about T. S. Eliot and Joyce and I don't know all these other other yeah. white men, like you say. Um, so. So what are the main aims? Is it that these... these so we these have a couple of aims. Uh, mm. We have... So we run a web... So part of our work is running this website, projectmyopia.com, where we uh, pay students to write reviews of materials that they wish they'd come across. So basically, we we ask for a review between 750 to 1,000 words of 
a piece so it can be literary cinematic musical arts you know we're re really trying to get something that's like really interdisciplinary here so the idea mm -hmm. is that you know we've got a couple pieces on economics like feminist economics and you know the racist history of medicine and like you know decolonizing diff like areas that you wouldn't expect to you know not just arts and humanities stuff which is mm. what most people tend to think of when they think about um, diversifying their reading lists. So we have that. Mm. Um, we pay artists, editors, writers to like create these pieces. And then what we do is we hashtag them up on the site with um, all of the sort of genres it could fall under. And then if you were an educator looking to find, say, I don't know, looking to make have a broader economics course you might look at this text instead of this text or you might you know so you'd go through and you'd be able to find a plethora of authors that are not just straight you might find loads more queer authors you might find loads more um lgbt L lgbtq authors or more um different works from people from different classes works from people from of different ethnicities and backgrounds so that's mm. one part of what we do the other part is that we currently we also offer um training to gta so we're talking about also not just like what you study in the classroom but who's in it so if you look at the statistics for like bame academics it's pretty bleak <laughs> of, mm. you know in terms of the numbers so like one of the there's like I think the current number for it is that there's like 35 black women academic black women professors in the UK out of nearly 20,000 so that's the kind of that's the kind of numbers we're dealing with um I know that I am one of 30 funded PhD Caribbean students so you know, we're looking at like out of again, out of nearly 20,000. So that we're looking at these really vanishingly small numbers. And we're trying mm. to say like, well, what can we do to improve those numbers? We're working with a lot of groups on um, retention and access to academia. We're also working on making sure that the classroom is a safe and equitable space for those students. So how do we mm. make sure that we're not perpetuating ableism in the classroom? We're not perpetuating, you know, queer phobia or um, anti-blackness. So we run these workshops with teachers to sort of ensure a more safe and inclusive classroom space. Mm. That sounds really important work and just really interesting as well, because I think a lot of the time, you know, when we read about um, black people in university, for some reason, it seems to be about sort of Oxford and Cambridge, you know, and... Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the numbers sort of around them are pretty terrible too. But for some reason, it seems to kind of focus around, you know, well, you know, there's not many, you know, it's very unbalanced in those universities. But, you know, there's lots yeah, of... Yeah, they're the ones that get the, the media attention on it. Absolutely. Like, everyone's always looking to see how many black students Oxbridge has accepted. But mm. there are whiter universities than Oxbridge. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not even at the top when it comes to that. So, yeah it's sort of expanding your expanding the limits of your outrage <laughs> yeah you should be angry at all of them honestly <laughs> and the whole academic system it's all a wash it's all a mess so yeah. this is the kind of so that's that's um part of sort of what I'm doing and that's where we're really thankful to have been getting a few more donations lately for that mm. um which will help us see you know help see us through because it's very you know these kinds of this kind of work it is a really slow burner 
and it can be really difficult to continue these things, especially in the face of, you know, how, like, in the face of statistics, in the face of how awful everything is right now, it can be very difficult to continue that kind of work. And mm. I think that's that's kind of what this current moment is feeling like. Mm. Um, sort of, thankfully, people are paying attention to some groups that have, you know, not just reinventing the wheel and saying we need to start doing this, but there are so many different groups that have been doing the work quietly all the time. And in terms of the book um, that came out a while ago now, um, mm. Color of Madness, are there any plans to sort of make it more widely available? Because I really think like it's, it's still probably maybe the only book of its kind I've ever seen, which is specifically about um, black and ethnic minority people and mental health. Yeah. Well, we're, I mean, again, with the book, there's so much that we've been doing since, since uh, the last time I was on the podcast too. Like we've, mm. so there are lots of, um, so we've been informed that NHS libraries have been stocking it since you know lots of different universities are adding like I get lots of messages from um teachers and lecturers saying that they've added it to their curriculum at uni as well we're working with an NHS project called Project Neon which researches the impact of recovery stories on um mental health the the impact of using recovery stories in uh, mental health treatment so mm. we gave them permission to reprint a selection of the stories from the book and it's currently still in research trials but the gist of it is that as someone seeking um, mental health aid you would go to the site answer loads of questions about yourself and then an algorithm would match you up to a story that's most likely to you know to be some support to you so it's like you know both this sort of additional level of support and looking at how recovery narratives can impact mental health first aid and mental health recovery so that's like you know the kind of thing that we've been really grateful to be included in the same sort you know I feel like I sit on like a million boards and panels and commissions and things you know talking about BME mental health so it was really clear to me from the jump that there wasn't there didn't seem to be very many of its kind I'm really I don't ever want to say like oh we're the first of its kind because there's always going to be something and you find out that you were not so I, I think it's a very dangerous thing to hang an identity on being the first of its kind but certainly there's not many others no mm. one else has come up to me and said oh have you seen this mm. that's doing the same thing well, you know what, I think also the fact that it's it's quite, I think for some people it might sort of seem quite brave to actually um, specialise in that way. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get the impression with with some sort of the, of the coverage about sort of mental health in terms of charities and whatnot, they'll kind of, they'll have like maybe one page about um, black and ethnic minority people. Um, mm. but, but that's sort of it. You know, like they seem to shy away from having you know as a whole specific section and you know when I was trying to help followers on social media sort of in terms of finding a specific um, mental health charity to support black people I struggled Mm. a bit because there was you know like there's one there seems to be one in London in Lambeth Kindred Minds um if it's it's Kindred Minds that's the one that the book's proceeds goes towards they're in Lambeth oh brilliant 
Yes, yeah. the lamp one. Yes, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yes. Um, and then there's also a service that helps um, people find um, black and Asian counsellors. The B A A T N. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's where I found um, my counsellor. Absolutely. I always yeah. respect that one. Yeah. There's, I think there's been a couple new ones that I've seen. I mean, I'm sure they're not new, but I've definitely seen as a result of um, recent organising. Oh, my God, I'm going to try and find it now really quickly. Uh, black Minds Matter UK. And they are funding free therapy sessions for black people. So that's blackmindsmatteruk.com. Oh, great. So that's... Uh, so important but yeah it's, it's true it's very and obviously I, I have a friend who works for um taraki which is a punjabi men's mental health uh organization so there's mm-hmm. lots of sort of smaller ones that are again don't really get much of a spotlight because it's mm-hmm. much easier to talk about mental health without talking about the specific specificities of it yeah so i have actually got a couple um so some of the other stuff I've been working on is I I do tend to write a lot about black health and our access to it. Yeah. So I had a piece with the Welcome Collection about black access to medication, black women's access mm. to medication and some of those barriers that you face in trying to. So I think we talked about this last time, toe that we line did. Yeah. between, yeah, between took that line between being serious enough to be seen and not so serious that you're institutionalized and like the myths that surround black health and I also have so one following on from that I've just written something for an anthology coming out this summer called So Hormonal and my chapter is a it's called Banana Leaf Poultices and it's very much about how um you know black people's relationship with holistic versus you know traditional holistic medicine versus um mainstream sort of europe european medicine Mm. and it's um again like i was interviewing loads of black people about it and there's you know it's so fascinating because we've got this very tight connection to the nhs and very tight connection to working in healthcare but also this very innate distrust of it because we've been mistreated by these healthcare systems Mm. for so long so it just becomes you know especially in this moment with the pandemic as well all of my concerns about you know about race about health they all become very tied up in this sort of weighty history Mm. so you know as far as you know things like protesting goes it's so important it's so necessary that we do but it's also so dangerous for us and there's no real solution to that you can't postpone protest until the pandemic's passed like it's it's a very difficult situation that we find ourselves in yeah absolutely you also mentioned sort of earlier on about sort of people kind of maybe sort of showing off a bit on social media and I think that's sort of the society we live in now it's people want to be seen to be doing the right thing as well as to actually do the right thing Mm -hmm. um but you did also mention you know that genuine friends had reached out to you um to sort of be supportive during this time um which a lot of people are finding quite hard 
Um, mm. I'm sorry to ask sort of that question again, because you might have sort of been answering this quite a lot at the moment. But what should friends do that is helpful? I mean, I've seen I've heard people sort of say, you know, send some food or some flowers or something. Like, what to you would be like a helpful thing to do rather than kind of come to you with a load of questions? Yeah, what I will tell you, thing? I've been loving the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I've been loving the flowers because it was also my birthday just as this happened. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of flowers. <laughs> You know, oh, some, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. So this is the sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, personally, it depends. It, it really depends. I can't give a really a catch-all answer to how best to talk to black people in this time. It's a very tricky one. But I think mm-hmm. I saw a lot of things on social media, these ridiculous templates. I don't know if you saw these, but they yeah. were so... Oh, you saw. <laughs> so it well, was just awful these templates on how to talk to your black friend in this time and I just thought if you have to use this template to figure out how to talk to me you shouldn't be talking to me you Mm -hmm. definitely should not be talking to me and Mm -hmm. all of them offered things like you had to sort of in this text tell your black friend what you've done to prove that you're an ally I've donated I've emailed I've posted this I've you know, I donated to that. Um, can I buy you some lunch? And I sort of said, like, tongue in cheek, like, definitely, if you're going to do any of those, just just buy me some lunch. Don't don't bother <laughs> saying any of the rest. Don't worry about any of the rest. Just text me, say, what's your PayPal? <laughs> or text me and say, like, what's your address? I'm going to send you some food. I'm fine with that. But the rest, I don't want it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the thing about it is it's just, I think, one of the things I've seen that is the most important is if in doubt don't message me if in doubt Mm -hmm. don't message them um just be about it in and don't just let this energy fade that's the thing Mm -hmm. like you can't just be upset and regretful about it right now but then the next big news thing passes and then you know a month down the line your energy's gone because our energy won't be gone we don't have that luxury we don't have that luxury we're still we haven't moved any further from death so you have to keep it consistent otherwise I don't want to hear it at all really Mm. so I guess it's just sort of questioning who is this message for am I really reaching out because and you know that can be a really hard question like no one wants to believe that they're doing something performatively but just think like are they really going to appreciate this? Are they really close enough to me to do that? And I'd always thought just like, you don't actually have to launch because I might be trying not to think about it. I can't think about it every day because otherwise I won't do anything else. Yeah. You know, like I sometimes have to put this to the back of my mind and I'm sure all of us do have to put this to the back of my mind so I can get on with my shit. And the thing about it is all of my friends know and everyone who knows me knows that I'm doing this 24 seven. Like this isn't something that just, springs up around the time of you know widespread social media outrage this is like I'm always thinking about this I'm always theorizing about and writing about this so it's it's like just because you're thinking about it right now does that mean that you want me to think about it right now do you want Mm. me to read do you want me to read that thing that you read that made everything click together do you think I need to read that thing or was it just that you read it and it made you feel closer to me you know, it's just, I think there's just an, a bit of discernment that everyone needs to have and show that tells you whether, like, is this the right time to talk to me kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I guess I just think that you can talk to me about other things still. 
<laughs> you yeah. can ask me how my plants are getting on. You can ask me about my latest adventures in baking, you know, mm. or, or ask me how my work's going. But mm. you don't have to message and say, oh, this is awful. Isn't it awful? Do you need someone to talk to? Because I think also the assumption is that you've got to assume that the first person I will reach out to to talk about this will not be my white friends. Mm. Because that is a lot of effort. That's a lot of labour. So it's kind of like, it's this double-edged thing where it's like, that's very kind of you to offer, but I think we both know I won't take it up with you. And we both know that if I were to take you up on it, it would be very, very uncomfortable for you. Are you equipped to deal with it if I were to take you up on it? Mm. you know yeah but all that said all my friends have handled it marvelously so i've been you know <laughs> good. Just, um, mm. it's very very good good i'm glad, I, I'm glad. yeah i'm <laughs> but you know some of the horror stories are just awful like i've seen i've seen people screenshotting their donations and sending it to their friends and yeah, you know, just just horribly distasteful stuff. Like it's just like everyone's collectively just behaving in such a weird way. Like a, <laughs> like everyone's collectively just gone wild. I don't understand some of these behaviors where you're like, is this how a normal human interaction is going to go now? Is this like you don't see anything weird about this kind of behavior? So this is goodbye from mentally If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.